Luke 13, verse 10 to 17, and can be found on your Bibles on page 1046. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites, doesn't, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead out to give to the water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whose Satan has kept bound for 18 long years to be set free from the Sabbath day from what bound her. When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. Thank you very much. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. You hear me okay? Good, good, good. It's lovely to be with you. Um, I've never actually had a Freddo frog from Megate. I'm just saying I've been here seven and a half years now in the team, and I've, I've, I'm, I'm hoping that by the end of the service I might get a Freddo. Oh, oh. I'm going to save this for later. Yeah, is this in date? Yeah, just about. <laughs> Thank you, Steph. So it is such a powerful passage, this, isn't it? And I hope um, that you enjoyed discussing with one another the things that have leapt out to you. I think it's always a good exercise to discuss together and to feedback because some people think of some things to do with the passage, other people think of other things, and together we learn. And it's really interesting, isn't it, um, that Jesus had been invited to the synagogue. He had been given the floor to preach. The floor was his. They wanted to hear what he had to say. It is such a powerful passage. So thank you, Amazon family, for, for reading that to us, wherever you are, over, over there somewhere. You've disappeared. Oh, you're there. Thank you. Um, so here he is. It's the Sabbath. It's the Jewish day of rest. And he's teaching in the place where the townsfolk folk all gather to worship, the local synagogue. Okay, this is, this is what you do if you're Jewish. You go to the synagogue. And this morning, though, in our service, we're going to explore four different sides to this passage. We're going to look at four words. The first is the woman's condition. The second is the call upon the woman's life. The second is a word called consternation. We're looking at the consternation. That's just a flash word of saying the, the anger and the amazement and the bafflement of the synagogue leader. Okay, We're looking at the synagogue leader's consternation. And we're going to look at the correction that he receives from Jesus. 
So firstly, then, let's explore the woman's condition. Luke writes, that day in the synagogue, a woman was there. Nothing unusual about that. Men and women attended synagogue, despite having to sit apart from each other. But there's something about this woman that would have perhaps made her excluded, marginalized, left out, maybe even ignored by others in the community, others at the synagogue. We don't know whether she was a habitual attender or whether it was just a one-off that she turned up that day. There's so much we don't know. But she's crippled. She's physically suffering. And she's been doing so for a very long time, 18 long years. She's bent over. Luke writes that she could not straighten up at all. What made her like this? It's not entirely clear. You see, Jesus often healed people who were clearly trapped by evil spirits. But was she trapped in this way, or was it a severe case of arthritis or spondylosis? Maybe life just made her that way. Sometimes emotional hurt or illness or verbal abuse by others, or whatever. It can take its toll on our physical bodies as well as who we are on our inside. These things are, of course, a mystery. But one translation of this passage uses, instead of spirit, the words, a spirit of infirmity. Perhaps then, it was just life that had shaped her that way and affected her own spirit, made her feel so weak. Another translation is the spirit of weakness that this woman had. Maybe life was just so crushing for her that she was starting to manifest that or had been for so long in her body. But whether it was a spirit in her causing her condition or just life, all this was much to the delight of Satan who enjoyed keeping her, trapping her in this place of hopelessness and darkness for those 18 long years. So I wonder... I wonder what she was doing there that day. Was it just habitual attendance or had she heard that Jesus was in her synagogue and she just needed to be in his presence because he was her only hope? But the important thing to note here in this story, which has something to teach all of us, is that Jesus saw her condition. Others in that synagogue didn't. Maybe some of them did. But if she was a habitual attender, maybe they got used to her condition, used to her being there. But Jesus that day saw her. He noticed her. Among all those people gathered to worship, it was she who caught God's eye. So some questions for all of us as we head through the service together. Firstly, what can we learn about our God from how he notices her condition what can we learn from God about how he notices the woman what condition are you in today physically spiritually emotionally mentally how are you today do you need God to do something for you this morning on a physical level an emotional relational mental spiritual level is Jesus this morning your only hope? Are you longing for him to do something? Which is why you're here. just want to leave those questions with you as we reflect on the woman's condition. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, 
Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. So Jesus didn't just see the woman. Didn't just see her. Didn't think, oh, there's a woman over there who's crippled. How strange. That's, that's really sad. He didn't just see her. He called her. He called her forward. Remember, Jesus was up front. He was teaching in front of everyone. He had the floor that day. He could have done whatever he wanted. And he called her out from the margins into the center, from the sidelines to the middle, from private darkness to his public light. He called her in front of everybody. He noticed her. She was a woman. And in those days, sadly, treated as a second-class citizen to the men. She was crippled. In those days, seen by many as a sign of God's judgment on a person's sin. That's what some of them used to think. But was that what God thought of her? No way. The God you and I worship here today is a compassionate God. We've just sung about everyone needing compassion like our Heavenly Father. Here was God in the flesh calling forward one of his precious creations, calling this woman forward. She was a human being, and he loved her. But he saw that she was trapped by the darkness of a broken world. If that had been you or I that day in the synagogue, he would have noticed each of us too. You see, God sees us. He always sees us and understands us all the time. God loves us regardless of how society views us or treats us. So then, God saw her, he recognized her condition, he had mercy on her, he called her forward, and then he does something very powerful. Jesus proclaims that she is set free from her infirmity, from the darkness that was causing this suffering. He lays hands on her, and a miracle takes place. Darkness, you see, darkness must flee from the presence of God's holiness and his power and his authority. And the proof that it happens? Well, look at how not only does she stand up straight for the first time in nearly 20 years, she praises God. She knows that she's healed. I wonder if like the woman who um, had been bleeding for 12 years and tried and spent lots of money getting healing, seeking healing, I wonder if she'd seen this woman, the crippled woman, I wonder if she'd seen lots of doctors as well over the years. I wonder if she'd been to see every single quack possible just to try and get some kind of relief from her physical ailments. Well, she knew she was healed straight away. When God heals us, there's no doubt that he's healed us. She was in his presence, and she praises God. That is the key here. She praises God because she knows she's set free. Does everyone receive healing like this? Does every prayer for healing always take place? Well, we know, of course, that it doesn't. That's why, of course, we call these occurrences miracles, because they're out of the ordinary. They don't happen every day. However, we do know that they are all glimpses of the future, that sometimes, in God's grace, break into our present. Our future hope is that God's kingdom will come to earth one day in sickness, and illness, and death, and evil will be no more. So, 
thinking about God's call to the woman to step forward from the sidelines into the center, one further question. Is God trying to call you from the margins into the center today? Is he calling you from the sidelines to the middle? From private darkness into his public light? What is God saying to each of you today? Is there something in your life, anything, that's holding you back from being restored fully by God? Is it the way you've been treated by other people over the years? Or is it an actual physical illness that you may or may not be healed of in this life? But either way, you just need to know that God's with you, walking with you through your suffering. What is it? What is it that you need from God today? Do you just need his reassurance about his love for you today? Maybe you don't feel loved. Maybe you've turned up at Megate today and you just don't feel loved by God. You don't think that he's actually noticed you, that he doesn't understand your condition. What is it you need from God today? Are you listening and will you respond to that call? Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. He wasn't like them. Why was he healing people, forgiving people, teaching people in a new way? Why, why, why? You can sense their indignation. You can sense their consternation, bafflement, anger. Jesus made them all angry. He challenged their neat and tidy religious ways. It's no different here with the synagogue leader, is it? It was a bit hashtag orcs for him that day, a bit uncomfortable for him, because Jesus was doing all the teaching. As I said, he had the floor. He had the authority that day. He was the service leader, a bit like Evie. And now all of this was happening. And notice that this synagogue leader doesn't moan to Jesus, does he? doesn't moan to Jesus. He doesn't dare confront Jesus. Rather, his consternation crackles away until it boils over. And who does he address? He addresses the people instead, along with the woman. There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. Wow. That's even harsher than dealing with a GP receptionist. His heart is this. His heart is this. How dare Jesus heal people on our special day of rest? Who does he think he is? That's the condition of the synagogue leader's heart that morning. Now, in a way, you can understand why this guy was a little bit cross. After all, didn't Moses all those centuries ago pass on the Ten Commandments with number four being keep the Sabbath holy? Well, yes, Moses did pass that on. But if we look carefully, we'll find that nowhere in the Scriptures did God ever command that you can't heal people on the Sabbath. He just said, keep it holy. However, over time, religious leaders added their own layer upon layer upon layer upon layer to what God actually and originally said to the people of Israel. People often interpret rules how they want them to mean rather than what they actually mean. Have you noticed that in life? They interpret things how they want to. Worse still, sometimes 
rather than passing on God's true instructions in love, people distort them out of a desire to control people. Have you noticed that? People can be controlled with dry, empty, shallow religiosity. I've lost count of the number of people that I've met in my life who don't want anything to do with God nowadays because of the way God was foisted upon them at school or in their family. It's really sad. People can use their authority to cover over their distaste for those they'd rather keep on the sidelines of community instead of drawing them into the heart of it. Have you noticed that? All because of a religious attitude that they have. Now, I bet if, if the synagogue leader's wife was bent over with illness that day, he would have been pushing her forward to Jesus to be healed. Go on, up you go, up front, but it's the Sabbath, doesn't matter, just go and see Jesus. But it was someone that he'd rather keep on the sidelines, not his wife. Someone he didn't care for. Someone he'd rather just obeyed the Sabbath and the rules rather than the offer that Jesus was giving her to come forward. So a few more questions for us all. You know, you may wonder why we played that football game earlier. Why on earth did we do that? It was to illustrate that those on the outside are the ones who, in God's eyes, win the cup. I guess you expected the adults to win that football game, but the kids won, along with Steph. God chooses the weakest to teach us all a lesson. I'm not saying children are weak, but if you get them, pit them against a load of adults, they're expected to lose, aren't they? Two questions then. Is there anyone you're preventing from approaching God because of your attitude towards them? Is there anyone in this church congregation that you'd rather keep on the sidelines rather than encourage them to come and meet with the living God? I know that's a tough question, but sometimes we can, have, we can form over years opinions of others. We don't really get to know them. We just don't always like what we see, and we prevent them from the freedom that God is calling them into. Is your religiosity preventing those on the margins joining the heart of this church community? Are there people outside in our parish that you would rather keep there rather than welcome them in here to the heart of this community where God wants to bless them and wants to draw them out from the sidelines into his glorious light? These are difficult questions, but we have to wrestle with them because it's so easy for the human heart to harden and to become religious rather than life-giving and full of God's Spirit. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Don't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whose Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. So we've looked at the condition of the crippled lady. We've looked at the call God placed on her life bringing her into the center to be healed. We've looked at the consternation of the synagogue leader that day. Now we're going to look at the correction that Jesus gives him and others who are like him. 
God cannot stand hypocrisy. Can't stand it. And he had a lot to say to those he knew were hypocrites. Those who were religious on the outside, yet when push came to shove, lacked mercy. They lacked love, compassion, and integrity on the inside, in their hearts. He had a lot to say to people like that. This wasn't the first time Jesus had healed in a synagogue on the Sabbath. Two times in Luke's gospel before this passage, in Luke 4 and in Luke 6, there are similar episodes to this one. And still, the religious elite hadn't learned their lesson. Later on, a couple of chapters time, next chapter actually, Luke 14, something similar takes place. And this time it's the house of a religious bigwig. Jesus has to say the same things to him as he says to the synagogue leader. And here, though, in the synagogue, in this moment, with its leader going off on one, Jesus had to correct him and any others sitting there who shared his views about this crippled woman. Jesus had to remind people what Sabbath was all about. Sabbath was about God's creative power. It's about God's desire for us to rest and dwell and get our identity from him to live out our lives from having a vibrant, living relationship with him. That's why Sabbath is so important, so important to practice. You hypocrites, Jesus says, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? He's basically saying, don't you all care for the things that are precious to you regardless of what day of the week it is? Jesus doesn't wait for them to respond to what he said. He continues, Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? No response. No response from anyone there. They didn't dare answer him back. Luke writes, When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated. But Luke does tell us that not everyone in that synagogue thought as their leader did. He writes, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. You see, Jesus was stealing people's hearts from empty, dry religion. He was the walking, talking, God in the flesh, Savior, who'd come among them to show them about the kingdom of God. You see, when they marginalize, like this woman, when they're brought to the center, when they're loved, when they're shown their true value in God's eyes, when they're given hope, when they're healed, when they're accepted, when they're recommissioned to live again in freedom, that is the kingdom of God at work. And when we see that happening here in our fellowship, that is the kingdom of God at work. It is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Do you know, seven times across all four Gospels, Jesus healed people on the Sabbath seven times, the number of perfection, the number of creation. Do you think God was trying to tell people something? On the Sabbath, seven times, and seven times in the synagogue, he heals. He's trying to prove a point, isn't he? And by doing this, he was sending them a powerful message, especially to those religious-minded people, to look beyond their narrow interpretation of the law. And so they might look instead at the human being in front of them. That's what God always calls us to do. Look beyond religiosity and look at the human being standing in front of us. To love, to accept, and to help 
all those we come in contact with. Because when we do this, it's real worship. It's real worship because it honors God. So two final questions before I sit down and eat my Freddo frog. Does your thinking about worship, about God, about treating other people, does it need some correction today? Is it slightly askew? Have you been challenged by this passage? I've been challenged by this passage, preparing it, about how I view people. Do you need to see afresh with God's eyes, the person in front of you? Not your eyes, but God's eyes. Do you need to see afresh those on the margins of life, those in our community who need welcoming into this community? Is there something that God wants to do today? Is there something in this passage that is jarring with you, that has even annoyed you as I've spoken? Because God is at work in your heart, nudging you and saying, you know what, you need to learn something from this. I hope so. Because this is a very powerful passage about the compassion of God and how we sung about we all need. Amen.